Hey, this is Gerd Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love. Inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Tundel and today I want to share with you someone who is helping women to heal from burnout. April Roberts is a former attorney and financial advisor who helps Gen X women achieve more abundance, love, peace, joy and alignment by connecting with their divine femininity. She's also the host of the podcast Vixen Voice. Hi April, I'm grateful for having you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Hey Gerds, thanks so much for having me. Oh bless you. I'm just I can't believe still that you grew, you you actually have been to a place that I grew up. It's just it's it's blown my mind. <laughs> Well, I think you believe the same thing. Um, all moments happen for a reason, right? So for some reason, we're meant to have this conversation. So I think it's going to be good. Oh, 100%. And everything that we're going to talk to actually links to, to you know, divine timing and, and being in the present moment. And um, I'd love to kind of share your story with the listeners. Like, what was your life like before you founded Vixen Gathering? Oh, gosh, how far back do you want to go? Remember, I'm a little older than you. <laughs> Let's go way back. That's all good. <laughs> okay, so I grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi, which is a small town in Mississippi, right on the Gulf of Mexico. Most people don't know that Mississippi, you know, is on the Gulf of Mexico, but there's a small part. Um, so it was really interesting. I grew up in a place that a lot of people think is the Bible Belt in the United States. Wow. However, we were in between New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama. So a lot of us were Catholic. So um, the rest of the state would call us the heathens of the state um, because we like to enjoy our life. Um, you know, we were good and friendly, but I don't know. It was it was a very interesting way to grow up. And hurricanes were a way of life for us growing up there. Um, so that's become interesting too, because we've seen, you know, weather get more severe um, and it, and it really can be devastating to people. So anyway, I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi, my family, um, my mother's family, she was third generation, always lived there. My dad's great, great, great grandfather founded a town in South Mississippi. So we were, you know, very entrenched in South Mississippi and it's not a place that people will leave. Um, so I always read books and I dreamed of going to London and Paris and living in New York City. Um, and I have to say that I was very blessed to have parents that encouraged this. And in fact, my mom was just in the hospital last week, unfortunately, but you know, you have a lot of time for deep conversation. And I asked them, I said, you know, why did you guys always support me? Like it was so different. And they were like, we knew you couldn't be contained in Mississippi. <laughs> I love it. They accepted it straight away. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I've met other energy workers and people and they're like, wow, your energy is so big and I just need space for creativity. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm lucky to have parents who saw me for who I was at a young age, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's um, magic. And- 
Yeah. And kind of didn't get in the way. And, you know, it takes us so much longer to get to know ourselves. I wish sometimes that we would have these conversations with our parents sooner, but I mean, that's part of life's journey, right? So um, to give you the short version, I, I dreamed of leaving Mississippi. And then, you know, when it came time to go to college, I studied all the colleges. I did well in all my testing, like top 1%. So I was able to kind of choose. And I ended up going to Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. I dreamed of an Ivy League school, but back then the Deep South was very different from the Northeast. I mean, it still kind of is, but people move around a lot. So to be honest, I think I had a little bit of culture shock when I went on those college tours. And so again, something in me knew to take like maybe a smaller step leaving Mississippi. So I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt, great college, Loved it. Then I went to Notre Dame for law school, um, which was interesting. I hated the winter. So you you asked me about my experience in the UK. I always wanted to move to London until I went there and came back from New Year's with a sinus infection, bronchitis, and the flu. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't do well in damp cold weather. Let's put it that way. <laughs> wow. So uh, yeah, so I ventured off to Notre Dame and I really, I wanted to be like a communications consultant. And my parents were like, we paid all this money for you to go to college. You know, remember I came from Mississippi where people didn't do things like go off to private expensive schools far away. Mm -hmm. um, and being the oldest child, I was like, okay, you know, I got to do something more sensible. And I wanted to be a writer and an English teacher. Um, so I went to law school and I actually really enjoyed law school. I don't know that many people can say that, but I had an amazing friendly class at Notre Dame. We were really close. We had a great time. Um, and then I graduated and I was like, gosh, you know, they crammed all this information in my head. I'd better use it. And so I did become a litigator. Um, with the largest law firm in Atlanta, because by that point I was ready to go back to warmer weather. So that was kind of, you know, we're talking about feminine in, um, energy. And my first job was with the largest law firm, very politically connected. Like we had a former attorney general and senator that were partners at our firm. Um, you know, very masculine energy litigation. And here I am this like 25 year old girl from Biloxi, Mississippi. So that was that was an interesting experience. <laughs> You know, it's interesting, I actually relate with a lot of things you're saying. Funny enough, I was the same. I wanted to either live in London, New York or Paris, interestingly enough. Yeah. yeah. And also, again, I studied my first degree in Leeds, um, which is my hometown. And then I moved to London and I was actually a journalist and I, I walked away from that career over 11 years ago. Um, wow. But again, yeah, same as you, like from a whole different world, being from Leeds to London and being in the journalism world, it was a very masculine energy and a very competitive market. Just like yours, it's, I didn't, it's like I didn't know who I was in that environment. Yeah, it's interesting because I thrived for a while. The social part of me thrived, right? Because, you know, we had tickets to the professional sportings. Like I had 50 people my age that started the same time. So I kind of thought I was living the life, but I was work was slowly draining me and I didn't realize it. 
Yeah. And it's, and I think that's the thing, what you're saying is it's like, it takes over as well. Like even with me, like I was like this alpha female, I was like, I'm a go-getter, I can do this and do that. And then slowly it started to chip at my health and well-being, and to the point that I actually collapsed three times in the office for me to actually realize like something's not right. You know, girls, you need to slow the fuck down. (laughs) Did you ever have moments like that where you were just like, what am I doing? Yeah, well, I had that moment when I actually, I I had something going on where, yeah, I had to stay home one day a month. I was in so much pain. I couldn't sit. And I went to doctors for two years to find out what was wrong with me because I work so much that you didn't have that much time, right, to go to the doctor. So it took me two years to cycle through the specialist. And finally, they discovered I had like a torn muscle from Tybo and endometriosis. (gasps) And, you know, keep in mind, this is like, I don't know, 2002, 2003. And I'm in this masculine environment. So I'm not going to share that I have endometriosis and I'm having surgery. So I had to take a week off because, you know, for a couple of days you're in like severe pain, even though it's laparoscopy, like you're not sure how well you can walk. And I remember getting emails from the partners, like, hope you're enjoying your vacation. I need this when you get back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Yeah. And shortly after that, my ex-husband actually was from Italy and he moved from Italy to, you know, the U S to be with me and I barely saw him. So it was kind of like this collision of a lot of stuff at once where you kind of get woken up and you're like, what the heck am I doing? Mm. What was the, what was the turning point for you? I know you obviously you had your operation, but how long did it take you to get to that point where you were like, enough is enough? Well, my first step was to go to a smaller firm. I thought it'd be better. Um, But the turning point happened right after that because I had, it was my, it was two years in, we had reviews every six months. I'd never had one single bad review, right? And suddenly I'm in for my review and the partner on our team was infamous for picking the young women off the team one by one, because in their opinion, you were going to get married and have kids, right? I just heard about this on a podcast I was listening to this morning, that this is still kind of a bias against women. And so as I mentioned, my my ex-husband had moved from Italy. So I think he got word that I had a live-in boyfriend. So suddenly I'm in there and there was one female partner on our team and she's in the room. And he was like, yeah, everyone likes you and thinks you do great work, but I just can't put my finger on it. There's something that I don't trust. Like it, it was just so random what he said to me. And, you know, I've always been pretty intuitive and I can read people well. Um, and I saw the female, uh, partner, like kind of a shocked look on her face. I could tell like what he was saying to me wasn't planned. And so he was just like, you know, I'm just kind of concerned that you're not really putting your all in. And he said something else. And so <laughs> I looked at him, I, I, you know, I, I shared with you, I grew up in a very supportive household of my opinion. So I just kind of in that moment knew I was the next target. And so I just looked at him. I said, no, actually I am committed to my job. It's just that I took a week off for surgery and everyone kept asking me how my vacation was. So when I came back, I was a little disillusioned <laughs> and like he was shocked and didn't know what to say. And I walked out of there and I was like, 
like, I better get another job quickly. <laughs> so that was pretty much my first step. I was like, okay, let's get out of here. Right. Um, so I moved to a smaller firm that was more, more friendly, but still litigation. And, um, as I mentioned, my ex-husband was Italian. So for me, it really came down to immigration. At the time, it was really hard, even though we were getting married, to get him a green card. And his grandfather was, had gone into the hospital, and we knew he wasn't coming back. And we were in that period where you can't yeah. travel. And so again, I just, I'll never forget that moment when the lawyer said, well, it could be six months. And we really, you know, we knew his grandfather wasn't going to make it. And I just remember looking at him and saying, well, I guess we're moving to Italy. And that was kind of the end of my like legal career at that point. Wow. Wow. And what was it like when you got to Italy? Like what happened there? That was really challenging. So I know, I think you said that you spent some time in, well, in Scotland, but, you know, kind of moving into another country and, um, so what was interesting was my law degree is not valid in Europe because it's not a European license. Um, so I couldn't practice law. And the second thing was I kept applying to be, I don't know, like an interpreter or a legal assistant. I mean, everything down to the person making copies at the law firm. And then they would tell wow. me I was overqualified because I had a law degree. So it was really a catch 22. I, I, I couldn't get a job. And, you know, I'd been a very driven, just like you were sharing in your journalism career, when you're like a very driven person and you always have the next plan. Yeah. <laughs> number, <laughs> number one, that's challenging. And number two, I wasn't yet fluent in Italian. And I, I think you can relate to this too, Gerds, being a journalist, you know, I, I have like I'm very gifted in communication. And when you're used to that and you find yourself in a country where you can't articulate yourself properly, um, it's really hard to explain, but it really damages your self-worth. It's very challenging. Oh, I, I totally understand. I actually worked in Canada um, yeah. in my mid-20s, well, close to my mid-20s. And and I thought, oh, yeah, it'll be like London. It'll be fine. And I got out there and it was a whole different way of working, a whole different way of actually being in a team. And I'd gone from having like opinions in the morning meetings. We have to share our opinions, get our stories out there to then coming to Canada and saying, no, you just need to follow what we're doing. And I just felt so um, restricted and it was so hard. So, uh, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. It, it, it's it's different when you have this expectation of what will happen, but the reality is very different. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you're away from your support network and, you know, nothing really feels like home. So I have to say, I mean, I absolutely loved Italy. My friends there were angels. They were amazing to this day. We're close. Um, but it, it's definitely challenging. I think everyone has this romantic notion of moving <laughs> to another country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, you know, you're in Italy, you're struggling to find a job. What, what was your next step? So I ended up teaching English um, because, you know, obviously I could do that. And so I signed up for the school. I think they're paying me 12 euros an hour and I'm used to making six figures as an attorney. So that was, that was interesting. And then they weren't giving me hours and I finally went to the boss. He was actually from New Zealand. He was a rugby player who ended up in Italy and, and married an Italian woman. So very similar to my situation. And I was like, 
I was like, dude, what's going on? Like, you're not giving me hours. And he was like, oh, I didn't think you really wanted to work. I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, it was just, I don't know, interesting. But I mean, sadly, unfortunately, my my ex-husband, who's a wonderful person and we were very much in love, but he had addiction problems that I didn't know about until we moved to Italy. So those started creeping up and, you know, we went through it three times with him cleaning up. And then I just, how you were saying you collapsed at work. I mean, I literally collapsed one time getting on a plane to go back to Italy. Like my mind, body, and spirit just shut down and couldn't do it anymore. So, um, so Italy was challenging on a number of fronts for me. Wow. Wow. So you came back to America and then I'm guessing you went back into the same career again. So we actually, we left Italy because, you know, I kind of had it and he said, let's move back to the U.S. And we oh. moved to New Orleans where I practice law and then he got a job and honestly, we had a beautiful life. And then stupidly, you know, I got to the age where we were like, okay, are we having kids or not? And, you know, I made twice as much as he did in the U.S. And the opposite was true when we were in Italy. Um, yeah. So we were like, OK, let's let's move back to Italy where you can be the breadwinner. And even if I can't really what? have a career, like I'll run the household. Terrible idea. Right. <laughs> I don't <Yes>. know why, <laughs> why we thought this idea. But, you know, again, romantic notions that you have at age 30. <laughs> so. I, I was like, wow. so anyway, we went back and we didn't, I mean, I was going stir crazy and then he started using again and then I just couldn't do it. So, um, that was when I ended up back at home. Um, and at that point I was really lost and that's why I share, you know, a lot of my coaching I do, I, I, I work with female entrepreneurs, but a lot of times I'm fixing their foundation and they're, you know, fixing them and helping them have stronger boundaries, more self-love. I just kind of think of all the things I teach. And I was like, wow, had my 27 year old self had this skill set when I ended up in this mess in Italy? Um, like, I just think the outcome would have been different. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever look back and think that? Oh yeah. I have, um, it's, it's a criminal, but slightly different story where I was in a long-term relationship and I look back and I'm like, how did I end up in that? And not holding strong boundaries and realizing sometimes those relationships actually teach us um, about patterns within our own family that we are then mirroring in our relationships. And actually the person that we go yes. through that are our greatest teachers and our greatest lessons. And we have a choice whether to carry on in that situation and hold boundaries. Um, but if they're not being met, then we have to choose ourselves. And it's a very difficult situation because you love the person, but you also know deep down that you this is not the way of life for you and actually if you don't learn that lesson it's gonna take over your life I totally agree I just did a panel discussion on my podcast about self-love and you know I asked them what was their greatest act of self-love in their lifetime and what came up for me was that moment when I chose myself over my marriage I mean I don't even know if it was a choice it was a choice of survival really but um but I, I totally agree. I love the way you articulated it. Like you're faced with this moment and it's like, am I going to choose myself? Um, and, and I think, I mean, you have to, because if you don't, what else do you have left? 
100%. And I think a lot of us, like, looking back now, like, romance this idea of what a relationship should be like. And, you know, we see yes. the potential in somebody. And that is the biggest danger, seeing potential, because that means that they will never be what we're looking for. But we need to learn those lessons with those people to realize what we do want and what we don't want. But moving forward, we have to make sure that our values and everything else aligns, because love it's not love. You can't just live with love. <laughs> love is important, yeah. but it can't just be about love. It has to be about your values and understanding one another and seeing if you actually are a great match and can support each other. No, I totally agree. And, and also understanding yourself as a person, you know, you asked me what was the final straw as a lawyer. And I think it was kind of a slow burn, like life just changed, but like now, you know, I've taken the Colby assessment, the disc assessment, my human design, like I, I'm a trained spiritual healer. Like I know myself so well that I crack up that I was trying to be a litigator and a lawyer. Cause it's so opposite of the things that give me energy and give me life. I relate with you as well. It's like when I look back at who, like being a journalist, it was like, who was I trying to prove that for? Was it for me? Was it really, what was it, what was happening there? But actually I realized, and I think it might've been the same with you, is those careers were teaching us to have a voice because we didn't yes. know how to raise our own voice. So that was teaching yeah. us externally to raise our voice, but we weren't listening within eternally. And when we went on the spiritual route, it's the internal voice being expressed externally. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's and I think amazing. as women as well, a lot of us don't know how to speak our truth because again, if you, we've, it's all linked to patriarchy, you know, we've been growing up to yeah. be good girls, people pleasers and sacrifice. And before we know it, we, we have, no knowledge of self and then we're wondering why is it that we're attracting all these toxic relationships or why we're not getting yeah. these careers that we want and it's actually because we've never been raised to trust in ourselves and that's when we have like a quarter life crisis or a midlife crisis and then we kind of break open and then we're like whoa why were we doing that why was I a journalist what was wrong like what was I thinking you know it's okay to take a break. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to to be kind to myself. It's okay to receive. And I think a lot of women suffer with receiving because they've been raised, you need to be this Miss Independent and do everything yourself. But actually, we all need support. We all need love. And we all need to embrace that feminine side of us. No, it's so it, it's so accurate, Gerds. And what's what, you know, kind of I, I tease my clients like, okay, when do you receive? Because receiving is a feminine energy, right? <laughs> if you think about it yeah. <laughs> um, and resting is as well. And yet women in today's world, especially that's why I particularly work with Gen X. And as you and I talked, you're Gen Y and it applies to you as well. Like they don't slow down and stop. It's like putting everyone else in front of themselves and the, you know, kind of the analogy I use with my clients is, hey, look, you are the foundation of your family. You're the foundation of your business because most of them are entrepreneurs. Most of you are the foundation of your communities and other groups. And if your foundation is cracked, what's going to happen to the home, right? And so let's, you know, put your foundation back together again. And then when you fill yourself up and learn to love yourself and do all these things, then you can give times 10 um, without hurting yourself. Yeah. And it's okay to say no, right? Like that's one yes. thing 
we haven't been taught is no and and it's not our fault and it's also not our mother's fault if they haven't been taught how to you know have self-love or have boundaries how are we gonna know and you know we are that generation now that we're here to heal the past and allow ourselves to to have boundaries and actually take care of ourselves because what we show the next generation is who they become so if we're not holding our boundaries and how for example if we have daughters are, are they going to know to hold boundaries I totally agree. And what's interesting is as you learn these lessons and start yes. implementing it, like I see my mom mirroring my behavior. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? How we go, oh, it's generational. And actually the root comes so far beyond us. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. But, but I love, because as you said, we can, you know, we can heal the generational curse or whatever we want to call it, but it's not just for the generations afterwards, you know, the generations before us, if they're still alive, well, one, we're healing their karma when we heal. And I believe, and then two, if they're still alive, they see it and they start healing from it as well. Yeah. First, it kind of triggers them because they're like, well, I never did that. How, how, you know, <laughs> how dare you do that? And then they're like, oh, but that seems quite good. Maybe I'll try it. And then they're like, oh, now I get it. And you're like, yes. <laughs> I love it. My favorite is I, I used to live in Houston. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee now. And my parents live like 45 minutes South of Houston. And I lived in the city and when I was there on Sundays, I was like, okay, I have to leave by three. Cause I knew past three, like the traffic coming from the beach, which was South of there, you know, it could take hours getting home. Right. So yeah. I would start getting anxiety because I knew my mom would try to talk me into staying longer. And I'd be like, I have to leave at three. I have to leave at three. And you sound like a child because you repeat it so much because they don't listen. This is before I was good at, you know, setting boundaries. Um, and it's so funny. I was just with my parents and my mom's like, oh, isn't it past your bedtime? Do you need to go to bed? Which never would have happened before. She would have like wanted me to stay up with her till midnight to watch a movie. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so I reflect like how crazy I used to be trying to assert these boundaries with them. And now it's just natural. They're like, oh, April, don't you have to do this? And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> But you see the transition, right? How how it took a while for them to go, oh, it's because I, they never had boundaries. And they're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Who are you to have those? Yeah. And I think it was Amy Porterfield I was listening to. She did something on boundaries and she talked about the boundaries we have are our parents or grandparents, right? Whoever's home we lived in, that's what we inherit. And then it's our job to change them because, and it's kind of what we're talking about, how like, as you get older and you're on this journey, you get to know who you really are. And then your boundaries start to reflect who you are and what your core values are and what your goals are and what's important to you. Because I mean, my boundaries might be very different from yours, right? But that doesn't mean I shouldn't respect your boundaries. Yes, 100%, 100%. And I think that's where it triggers a lot of people because within our society, women tend to not have boundaries right and mm -hmm. so they're just like a sacrifice to everybody and you know making sure everybody else is okay and then when they put the boundary and it's not about them you know you, you know so for example I put a boundary and you know I, I say to you April well I don't appreciate this but then you might be triggered by it because who are you to have a boundary because I don't have a boundary kind of thing 
<laughs> a lot of people don't realize it's actually not personal actually having a boundary is great so then you know where the limits are with that person yeah I actually had an executive assistant who was amazing she was a little bit older than me and like everything was great and then I took two weeks off at Christmas and I told her take some time off like my brother has property in Honduras I went and stayed at his house like it was amazing and I came back and she was like yelling at me it was so weird and I was like (laughs) what's going on and then I actually talked to my spiritual coach about it and he said you did something she's not able to do taking time off. So it triggered her so badly that it like disrupted our relationship. It was really eye-opening for me. Wow. But that just shows how deep it is within generationals of of our, you know, of w- within women and why it's so important now than ever. And whenever there is a trigger, it's actually never really about us. It's about their own personal yeah. relationship with boundaries. <clears throat> And And the interesting thing is, as you grow spiritually, your light either attracts people or triggers them. So you just have to get used to triggering people. (laughs) You only have to look at social media when you post something and it's like trigger, trigger, trigger. And you're like, okay, it's nothing to do with me. (laughs) Oh, it's so fascinating. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us? Yeah. Um, Can you tell us about the, um, the birth of Vixen Gathering? Yes. Yes. So, um, so I'll give you the quick version. So when I ended up fully separating from my ex-husband, it was like 2008, I ended up back in Mississippi, you know, where I'd always dreamed of leaving, but I was at my parents' house. Cause I mean, we had sold everything and moved to Italy and I literally had like $10,000 in my bank account. Right. So, because unfortunately with his situation, we'd gone through all our savings, living in Europe was expensive. I didn't have income. Um, so I was just like, like, what do I do now? Um, so I practiced law for a little bit and then I actually, just because I was close to my dad, his, his, um, assistant retired and he was a financial planner. So he would give dinner seminars to get new clients. And I said, Oh, I'll come to your dinner seminar and like manage it and greet everyone. Just cause I thought it was fun. Like I'm a lawyer. <laughs> right. And I was like, I'll come do this for you. And I just saw the impact that my dad had on his client's life, like giving them financial peace of mind. And I was just like, I think I want to do this because, you know, as a lawyer, well, litigator, I always inherited problems and I'm putting out fires for people. And I was like, oh, wow, getting to help people plan for their future sounds so much better. Um, So anyway, long story short, I learned that from my father, moved to Houston in 2010. I opened my own firm and, um, and, and grew that to multiple seven figures of revenue. And then 2020 was another wake up call where I kind of realized, I mean, I thought I'd be doing that forever. I love taking care of my clients. My clients love me. You know, I had a team and 2020 hit and I, Gordon's, I don't know how you get signs, but I kind of joke and, (laughs) and, you know, I, I, everybody believes in different things. So I call the higher power God. Um, and you know, if we call it universe, God, we get whisperings of what we're supposed to be doing. Right. And in my experience, if we don't listen, I like to say that big two by four hits you upside the head. (laughs) Um, (laughs) which, which I think happened to me when I couldn't get on the plane to go back to Italy and you, when you were literally passing out at work. Right. So, 
Um, I've had enough of these experiences that the third whispering came April of 2020. I was reading a book and um, I don't know why I'd had this. I, I In 2017, I took my mom to Madison Square Garden to see, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blinking? Um, <laughs> uh, a famous, famous singer who I love. And we were on the fifth row and I remember looking around thinking, oh my gosh, could you imagine making an impact on this many people's lives? Like it just like, I don't know, it made such an impression on me. Right. And, um, then two years later, I was doing an exercise in a mastermind I was in. And it was like, if you had five more years in your life, what would you do? And I was like, oh, I'd want to like fill Madison Square Garden with a bunch of, you know, people loving on each other, like the vision came back. So anyway, in 2020, I was reading a book and it's Coop Blackson, You Are the One. And first chapter, he talks about how his dream was to come to America and speak at Madison Square Garden. And I just looked up, I go, really right now? Because it's like April 2020, right? We're all locked in. I'm trying to keep <laughs> my employees from losing their mind. I'm trying to keep my clients from losing their mind. At this point, I'm working with my parents. Um, and actually, my dad got like kind of paralyzed that month. Luckily, he had surgery and got better. So I was just like, really right now you're telling me it's time to start? But you know, this was like the third sign. And so I said, okay. And I think this happened to a lot of us in 2020. There was such a pattern interrupt that we did things we wouldn't normally do. And mm. one thing I would not normally do is ask for help from people. Like, I don't know, you know, I'm the <laughs> oldest child. I've done some work where for seven lifetimes, apparently I've been responsible for people. Like I had this responsibility problem, right? Like I couldn't mm. leave my business because I was responsible for my team. I was responsible for my clients. Um, and 2020 just kind of ripped that veil away for lack of a better way to put it. And, you know, so I was in honestly, Gertz, another thing that happened to me is even though my husband had the addictions, I had this part of me that hadn't healed that felt like I failed at my marriage, which was the most important thing. And that I couldn't fail at anything else, which is you know, that masculine side coming back in, right. Maybe yeah. that competitive side and, you know, which was great for my clients. Cause they got amazing. They got taken care of amazingly, but it was slowly hurting my health, hurting me just like the legal practice had. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so long story short, I normally wouldn't have asked for help. And I just said, okay, the two by four is coming. So let me just call people and start asking. And I was like, literally like, I'm supposed to be on a stage speaking to people. Who do you know who can help me get on a stage? You know, this is 2020. There are no stages. <laughs> um, but it led to all these amazing Zoom calls with other female entrepreneurs and like about what they were going through and how they were dealing with 2020 and how the veil had been lifted for them. And I was just like, wow, a lot of change is coming. And I'm kind of built for change for a lack of better way to say that. I mean, you know, you heard a part of my life journey, but if you hold, heard the whole thing, like most people would not have ridden that roller coaster. Let's put it that way. And then you have your own business. I like to call it the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Yeah. Um, plus my parents were entrepreneurs, my grandparents, it was kind of normal for me. And I was like, 
wow, a lot of these women aren't used to this much change. They're going to need a guide. And that was kind of the birth of the Vixen Gathering. I didn't really know what it would look like then. And, you know, I had to work my way out of my business, which I ended up exiting earlier this year fully. Um, I And so, yeah, so that journey began April of 2020. I just knew I was meant to make an impact in a different way. That was really all I knew. First of all, congratulations, because that takes deep courage to just walk away from something that we're so comfortable with, right? And and secondly, your biggest growth is within business. Like I feel anyone I know who's in business, it's the biggest spiritual growth that we ever have. You know, we have nobody there to hold our hand. We have to figure shit out. And we, (laughs) we have to go through the emotions and then we learn from our lessons, which is a beautiful gift that we don't tend to get when we're we're in the same thing that we're doing for so many years and I think the biggest growth for women right now is business I honestly believe that when we go on a path of deep inner work and also business we actually learn to have boundaries learn to speak our truth learn to let the past go because we know it holds us back and I know with myself personally like you're saying you know the biggest shifts like yeah I had yes collapsing in the office but there has been many situations where the universe and god or high power whatever you want to call it has hit me on the head (laughs) Mm -hmm. growing up and there was also like when I was 21 I had a car accident I was overworking didn't listen my left arm stopped working in Canada and I had to learn how to regenerate it I had a cancer scare after I got made redundant Uh, these were all signs and then the biggest sign for me was when I had a kidney problem because I was working so crazily in my business um that the universe was kind of saying, right, you need to slow the fuck down. (laughs) And (laughs) that's when I dived into my feminine energy and was like, oh, why do I feel so much shame for slowing down? What is the guilt that I'm holding about this? And then I realized that it's the the patterns that we grew up with. It's deep generational trauma, but it's also the patriarchy that we've grown up that makes us as women believe that you know, we have to multitask. That's a load of shit because men don't multitask. Men will just openly say, I can only do one thing at a time. But women were like, no, we can do everything. You know, there's so much wounds that, you know, we're here to heal. And once we we allow ourselves to, to, to heal them, we are then able to just really enter a beautiful state of like we were talking about the feminine energy where we are able to receive easily without guilt and shame. We're able able to hold boundaries. We're able to speak our truth. And I think that is the biggest gift that we can have is coming back home to ourselves. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree. Um, I love it. And I I like to add, I mean, we could talk for hours on this topic, (laughs) but I mean, you know, you call it the patriarchy. I call it the war on femininity (laughs) because it's come from many fronts. And, you know, what I like to repeat again and again, because I want women to hear it is, we are so powerful and they are scared of our power, right? Because we have been so disempowered or imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it. And I mean, no other creature on earth can birth another human being, right? So, I mean, (laughs) so I, I don't know. It's just, it's incredible the power we hold because creativity is femininity. Community is femininity. Communication, like everything that's important in our world today is feminine energy. And trust me, I love men. I I, I don't like it when people say throw out all the men, right? Oh, like, God, no. <laughs> 
I love the good balance, but I just think, you know, we are so powerful and we have to give ourselves that awareness. Yeah. Well, we, we need each other, men and women. It's just that we both have, there's healthy wounds and there's, you know, well, there's healthy, you know, masculinity and femininity, but there's also wounded masculine and wounded femininity. And when we focus on the wounded aspects, we can then enter the healthy aspects. Um, But a lot of us are afraid to go within, right? A lot of people are so afraid to actually face those wounds. But once we do that, we allow ourselves to receive with grace, man or woman, regardless, we allow ourselves um, to be heard and that that that's all that we're looking for is to, all of us are just wanting to be heard um oh gosh we are coming towards the end of the show by yeah. the way no no <laughs> I agree and I just like to add one thing quickly to what you said because it's so important you know everything I do is based on we were put on this earth for a purpose um and I do believe we've been here before but we have a purpose for this lifetime And so if we're living with someone else's boundaries, someone else's set of rules, someone else's perception of ourselves, we are not serving our purpose, right? Um, And to me, that's the most important thing you can do on earth, which might be to be the funniest person in the room and bring people joy. But if you're not being true to who you are, you're not serving your purpose. 100%. 100% relate with what you're saying. It's so true. And when we don't listen to that, we are not. Um, we're doing a disservice to the universe and, and God and what they had in Correct. store for us. And we really need to hear that. And that's why we have those low moments is because our, our soul knows that we're here for something bigger and greater than ourselves. Um, what are your five top tips for someone um, who wants to embrace their femininity, but doesn't know where to start? I love that. Um, so <laughs> number one, you probably need some rest. So get some rest. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, Number two, start tapping into your intuition. When you get these little whisperings, they might sound crazy, but what I've been taught is to say, thank you, my intuition. Even if I've heard it incorrectly, just that practice of gratitude, and then it starts getting louder, right? Um, So listen to your intuition and think it. I also think that as women, we underestimate the wisdom of our bodies. Pay attention to your body feel when you tense up, feel when you relax, understand what gives you energy, understand what takes your energy. And that's how you really start getting into the flow. So I just think our bodies are so wise. I also think practicing being in the present moment. Um, you know, I, I'm looking outside my window here in Nashville, And I have these beautiful green hills and the leaves are turning. And I always like take a look over there every couple of minutes to just remind myself of the amazing beauty. So be present, enjoy beauty. Um, And number five would be receive. When someone offers something, say thank you and take it gracefully. You don't have to say anything else, but, you know, I like to imagine, think about a time you wanted to give to someone and they said, no, thank you. That doesn't make you feel very good, right? In fact, my back just went up when I said that. Um, And so just think about this beautiful flow of giving and receiving. It's like this beautiful cycle. And if you can immerse yourself in that cycle, it's just amazing what starts showing up. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those five top tips. It, it's so important to really allow yourself to receive because that's where the magic happens. Yes, I agree. I, life is not meant to be as difficult as we've been led to believe. 
<laughs> Let's put it that way. 100%. 100%. Um, <laughs> what are you most grateful for? Oh my gosh. I have a long list. Um, I actually am most grateful for my spiritual journey and my relationship with God. It just brings me amazing beauty every day. And I love how you talked about business as huge spiritual growth because it's so true, right? Um, and just learning to laugh at yourself. I remember one time I was focused on being more compassionate and I was just like, okay, send me some, send me some lessons on compassion. And boy, were they painful. <laughs> like I want to say I failed six times out of 10 to be compassionate when the moment presented itself. But then I would reflect and say, okay, next time I'm going to handle that this way. Right. Um, but then I just started laughing at myself like, wow, this is painful, but I asked for it. So I better do it. So yeah, for me, I mean, that's the most beautiful thing. I think you get to a certain place in life where you've been successful, you've traveled, you've done all this. Um, and then the most important journey becomes that journey within. Hmm. 100%. Yeah. Because that's the way the magic happens, right? <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> and my last question for you is, uh, what shines your inner light? Uh, I <laughs> had, you know, I think for me, it's empowering other people to be themselves, but also being free to be myself. Um. I love this question. And what I committed to a couple of months ago, I said, I'm just going to be a vessel of joy. <laughs> and I just decided that one day I read something and every day I'm just like, how can I be a vessel of joy? And it lights up everyone around me and it lights me up. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for April for being on the show and just trusting the wisdom from within that it was time to trust in your magic and your wisdom. Yeah. And I'm glad I trusted the wisdom to get on your show today. I love chatting with you. Oh, bless you. I love talking to you too. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic, isn't it? It's magic. When two people come together, magic happens, right? 100%. Wow. What an amazing episode with April. It's so important to surrender to your inner wisdom and allow yourself to receive gifts and the medicine of, of being in your divine feminine energy. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. Before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. We must both keep our femininity and our strength. That's a quote by Indra Devi. Take care, my sisters. Bye. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at girdshandle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.